Chapter Ten of the Turn of the Tide. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Turn of the Tide, by Eleanor H. Porter. Chapter Ten. It was the day before Christmas. For eight weeks, Margaret had been at Elmhurst, Miss Dole's school in the Berkshires. School. Miss Dole's school had been something of a surprise to Margaret, and Margaret had been decidedly a surprise to the school. Margaret was not used to young misses who fared sumptuously every day, and who yet complained because a favourite ice-cream or a pet kind of cake was not always forthcoming. And Miss Dole's pupils were not used to a little girl who questioned their right to be well-fed and well-clothed and who supplemented this questioning with distressing stories of other little girls who had little to wear and less to eat day after day and week after week. Margaret had not gone to Elmhurst without a struggle on the part of her mother. To Mrs. Kendall it seemed cruel to be separated so soon from the little daughter, who had but just been restored to her hungry arms after four long years of almost hopeless waiting. On the other hand there were Margaret's own interests to be thought of, School, certainly, was a necessity, unless there should be a governess at home, and of this last Mrs. Kendall did not approve. She particularly wished Margaret to have the companionship of happy, well-bred girls of her own age. The Houghtonsville public school was hardly the place, in Mrs. Kendall's opinion, for a little maid with Margaret's somewhat peculiar ideas as to matters and things. There was Bobby, too. Bobby, the constant reminder in word and deed of the city streets and misery that Mrs. Kendall particularly wished forgotten. Yes, there certainly was Bobby to be thought of, and to be avoided. It was because of all this, therefore, that Margaret had been sent to Elmhurst. She had gone there straight from the great hotel in the mountains, where she and her mother had been spending a few weeks, so she had not seen Houghtonsville since September. It was the Christmas vacation now, and she was going back, back to the house with the stone lions and the big playroom where had lain for so long the little woolly dog of her babyhood. It was not of the stone lions, nor the playroom that Margaret was thinking, however. It was of something much more important and more delightful, the girls said. At all events, it was wonderfully exciting and promised all sorts of charming possibilities in the way of music, pretty clothes, and good things to eat, again according to the girls. It was a wedding. Margaret's idea of marriage had undergone a decided change in the last few weeks. The envious delight of the girls over the fact that she was to be so intimately connected with a wedding, together with their absorbing interest in every detail, had been far more convincing than all of Mrs. Kendall's anxious teachings. Marriage might not be such a calamity after all. It had come as somewhat of a shock to Margaret, this envious delight of her companions. She had looked upon her mother's marriage as something to be deplored, something to be tolerated, to be sure, since for some unaccountable reason her mother wanted it, but still, nevertheless, an evil. There was the contract, to be sure, and the doctor had signed it without a murmur, but Margaret doubted the efficacy of even that at times. 
It would take something more than a contract, certainly, if the doctor should prove to be anything like Mike Whalen for a husband. The doctor would not be like Mike Whalen, however, so the girls said. They had never seen any husbands that were like him, for that matter. They knew nothing whatever about husbands that shook and beat their wives and banged them around. All this they declared unhesitatingly, and with no little indignation in response to Margaret's somewhat doubting questions. There were the story-books, too. The girls all had them, and each book was full of fair ladies and brave knights, and of beautiful princesses who married the king, and who wanted to marry him, too, and who would have felt very badly if they could not have married him. In the face of so overwhelming an array of evidence, Margaret almost lost her fears. Marriage might be very desirable, after all. And so it was a very happy little girl that left Elmhurst on the day before Christmas, and, in care of one of the teachers, journeyed toward Houghtonsville, where were waiting the playroom, the great stone lions, and the wonderful wedding, to say nothing of the dear loving mother herself. It was not quite the same Margaret that had left Houghtonsville a few months before. Even those short weeks had not been without their influence. Margaret, in accordance with Mrs. Kendall's urgent request, had been the special charge of every teacher at Elmhurst, and every teacher knew the story of the little girl's life, as well as just what they all had now to battle against. Everything that was good and beautiful was kept constantly before her eyes, and so far as was possible, everything that was the reverse of all this was kept from her sight, and from being discussed in her presence. She learned of wonderful countries across the sea, and of the people who lived in them. She studied about high mountains and great rivers, and she was shown pictures of kings and queens and palaces. Systematically and persistently she was led along a way that did not know the alley, and that did not recognize that there was in the world any human creature who was poor, or sick, or hungry. It is little wonder, then, that she came to question less and less the luxury all about her, that she wore the pretty dresses and dainty shoes, and ate the food provided, with a resignation that was strangely like content, and that she talked less and less of Patty, the twins, and the alley. End of chapter 10 Recording by Carol Box